So, how we doing? Getting in the groove of this whole 12-step thing? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any of them giving you a run for your money? No. <laughs> All under control. Uh, in case you've uh, missed the last several weeks, we are almost to the end of a series called Strong in the Broken Places. We have just this week and next week um, left. And we've been going through the 12 steps. And what we've discovered is that the 12 steps are actually based on biblical principles and that God is at the heart of this whole 12-step phenomenon. But um, rather than going through the laborious review of the last 10 steps that we've already covered, uh, next week we actually are going to provide you with an insert that'll have all the 12 steps listed so you can go through them yourself step by step and because... And keep them close because really this is not like a quick fix. I mean, it's not like a one-time thing. We have an amazing capacity to screw up our lives, don't we? And um, so this is something that we're going to have to continually get used to and work through the steps. It's a lifelong uh, process. And today really kind of changes it up a little bit in the 12 steps because these last two steps that we'll deal with this week and next week really uh, is where we transition from the work of facing down our issues and cleaning up our past to now doing the necessary work of creating a whole new life, like changing everything, where we become a different person right down to our core. And so while we may still be susceptible to falling prey to our issues again, which we all are. Nobody's above it. When you start thinking you're above it, that's when you're in trouble. Um, However, we have a much higher likelihood of success by creating changes that are permanent and sustainable. And so today is step 11, which says that we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our intentional contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. It's at this juncture that we begin to create ongoing healing from the pain of our past. But as in every step, I think that there is an obstacle, and the particular obstacle in this step is a little something we call shame. And I want to make a distinction between guilt and shame, whereas guilt kind of pricks at your conscience to let you know that something about your behavior is off and it motivates you to correct it. Shame, on the other hand, when you engage in that behavior, changes the way that you see yourself. Shame changes your view of who you are. Because of the things you have done in your life, you begin to see yourself as a bad person, which holds us back from ever healing. Shame makes you want to hide and disappear into the shadows and ultimately can drag us right back into the destructive behaviors that we've been running from all of our lives. 
But God, God wants something different for you. God wants you to step out of the shadows into his light and know that what you have done is not who you are. It's just what you've done. And you have the power to redefine who you are moving forward to become the person that God created you to be. So, uh, as my daddy used to say, I'm going to take the long way around the barn this morning uh, to get to step 11 because I do believe that Uh, What I alluded to is true in that shame really is the biggest barrier for us taking this next step. And it it not only keeps us separated from developing authentic relationships with other people and achieving true intimacy, but it also creates a barrier to us having an intimate, authentic relationship with God. Shame seduces us into believing things about ourselves that just aren't true. It kind of whispers in your ear, and it tells us things like, I'm a failure. I'm unimportant. I'm unlovable. I don't deserve to be happy. I'm a bad person. I'm a phony. Any of that ring true? Have you heard any of that? And when when shame is developing inside of us, it creates behaviors in us like being overly controlling or judgmental or critical or perfectionistic because we're trying to compensate for those feelings of inadequacy. Nothing stops healing and paralyzes our growth like shame. Shame creates a chronic sense of unworthiness and inferiority that can result in us feeling disconnected from life and love and God and everything else. To the point that it just sucks our soul dry until we become like the walking dead. So here's how this plays out. We do something that we know that we shouldn't do. We make some mistake. We engage in some destructive behavior. We allow some bad habit to start getting in side of who we are, and so we feel guilt, which isn't a bad thing. Guilt is what pricks our conscience and helps us to understand that our behavior is off and it motivates us to correct that behavior. However, when we don't act on that, when we go the opposite direction, instead of coming clean and addressing our issues as the 12 steps suggest, we decide to stuff it. We decide to sweep it under the carpet. Pretend like it never even happened. 
Now we've created a point of vulnerability in our life to the point that we're in real trouble. Because bearing our issue plants a seed for shame so that shame can now begin to take root and grow until it eventually takes control of our lives. Now, instead of heading down the path of healing, we start to deteriorate because we've become so overcome with shame that we need a way to cope. It's stressing us out. We've got to figure out how to cope with this shame. And so we look for a temporary escape. And we seek comfort and we remember, oh, this dysfunctional behavior that I've been engaged in, that gives me temporary relief and it causes us to return to that behavior that got us into this mess in the first place. And so we go through this whole thing again and again and again and we stay stuck in the spin cycle of shame, and we can't get out of it. The key to sustainable change and healing is to be able to break the cycle of shame in our lives and to move forward down a path of healing. That when whatever it is that we've dealt with in our past, whatever the guilt is that we feel about it, that we engage in going through the 12 steps rather than ignoring it and getting stuck in the cycle of shame. It's a choice. And what we choose affects us for the rest of our lives. When you can break free from it, you can finally begin to visualize a new life, a new future. You begin to change your beliefs about who you really are at your core. Breaking the cycle of shame requires us to change our destructive behaviors by replacing them now with positive behaviors, which is where step 11 comes in. Because if we go back and look at step 11, it says that we seek through prayer and meditation, to improve our intentional contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Well, believe it or not, Jesus actually addresses this very issue in a story that he tells in the New Testament of the Bible about a house. And this particular house was occupied by a demon. And he uses this story as a way to describe our lives when we've let the wrong stuff get in control. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, it says this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places. It goes through like the desert, seeking rest, and does not find a comfortable place to rest. When it arrives, or sorry, when it re- then it says, I know, I can't find a comfortable place to rest. So then it says, I know, I will return to the house that I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So according to this picture that Jesus is painting for us, when the time comes for us to get rid of 
the sin in our lives and live differently, we kick out this evil demon which represents our Goliaths, our issues. We kick it out of our lives and we clean house. And when we do, the house looks great. It looks all nice and clean and tidy. We've done a little touch-ups. We've kicked out all the bad stuff, which is great, except when the demon that got kicked out comes back, he sees that the house is still empty and unoccupied. And what's more, it looks great. It looks even more inviting and more comfortable than it did before. And so this demon goes out and invites all of his little demon buddies to come and party with him at the house because nobody's home. And they go back in the house, and when they do, there's now twice as many demons as there was before. And Jesus says that the end result is now that this man is worse off than he was in the first place. But why? If this metaphor represents us cleaning up our lives so that we can now do the will of God, how could it actually, how could we get ourselves into a position where it's actually worse instead of better? When we decide to overcome our issues and kick out our Goliaths, we clean out all of the bad habits in our lives. We stop the sinful things that we were doing because we want a fresh start. And many of us have done a great job of cleaning all that crap out of our lives. But the problem is this. When we do that, it still leaves our house vulnerable and empty. Think about it. When we were engaged in the destructive behaviors, when we were engaged with all of those bad habits, our life was filled with all of that stuff. It filled our time. It felt good. But because we've never replaced the bad habits in our lives with new ones, we've now become vulnerable. And so what happens is that sin creeps back in because we're still looking to fill that void that exists in our life, and we start missing our old habits again. We start romanticizing about how great it was when we used to do that stuff and how good it felt when we did it. Even if it was just temporary, it provided a temporary escape. And that stuff that we work so hard to get rid of comes back, only this time we fall twice as hard. And the growth that we thought we were experiencing was only temporary, and we take ten steps back. One of the biggest challenges, I think, to creating sustainable change in our lives is figuring out what it is that we are going to fill back our lives up with to replace what was once there and to figure out who it is that I want to become. Because when we start working through the steps, it feels great. It feels like you have a fresh start, a new life. We're taking things on and everything feels so clean. And there's times when we get a glimmer of of hope, of growth, when we feel inspired by a great message or we experience an incredible time of worship. But how do we capture that 
consistently in creating a relationship with God where we have an everyday faith, a living, breathing, growing faith that fills our lives with something new, something full of purpose and meaning. And as a result, we become a completely different person at our core. It's an area that I have to tell you that I struggle with because I grew up in a pretty traditional church and the mistake that I watched churches make as I was growing up is that churches kind of make it all about the things that you do or that you don't do. As long as you're not participating in some particular behavior or as long as you're doing the things that the church wants you to do at a particular time, then you are deemed to have a strong faith. But the problem with that approach is that Christianity becomes nothing more than the religious ritual of the do's and don'ts and making sure that you keep it. There's no focus in on having a personal relationship with Jesus and there is no, there's therefore no life change that occurs because it's not a meaningful experience for you. It's just checking a list. Jesus put it like this. He said, you may look really good on the outside. You may do all the right things. You may follow the rules of morality. Uh, You may have people thinking that you're real spiritual, but I have to tell you that on the inside, you ugly. (laughs) And probably full of shame. What I believe the Bible teaches about spiritual growth is that it's more about having an authentic relationship with God than it is about keeping the do's and don'ts of what we should or should not do because I believe that the fight for true life change does not occur on the outside of our lives by making sure that people think well of us. The struggle is one on the inside. It's at our core. It's about who we really are. It's about Who or what now occupies my heart? And I have to tell you this, that when you get that, that authenticity, you can't help but do the right thing. All that stuff comes naturally and you don't have to force that anymore. And so as as far as spiritual growth is concerned, it's not enough to just start believing in God and stop doing particular behaviors. It requires us to do something more. And the problem is that there's no easy fix. There's no magic formula for getting close to God. Best I can figure, there is growing in our intimacy with God through prayer and reading the Bible part. There's the being part of a church and experiencing worship and Bible teaching part. There's the being uh, contributing as part of a community by serving others and giving of our resources. There's this relational element of growing in a community of people, a small community of people who know your stuff and love you anyway and support you through it. But here's the thing. Some of us try to focus in on one of those things and do it really well, but It's all of those things. It's not just one. It's all of those things that contribute to our spiritual growth. It's the whole package because creating authentic change is not just about emptying ourselves of the bad stuff. It's about filling ourselves back up with the God stuff. 
It's about a lifestyle that we take on where we feel connected and close to the presence of God. Most of the time, there is no wow factor. There is no big wave of emotion that's going to give us this momentum that causes us to grow. It's just plain old everyday work. It's every day walking in Jesus. It's day in and day out standing against all of the junk that the world throws our way and standing firm in our faith and saying no more. It's day in and day out standing firm and living our days out squared up in the will of God. If we're going to survive this world, then we're going to have to do everything we can to stay connected to God because there is this promise that if we do, if we remain in Him, as Jesus said, He will give us the strength that we need to overcome our issues and our temptations and the ideas that fill our head to go back that he will give us the strength that we need to make it to go forward, to push through it, and to make it to the end of the journey. There's a beautiful passage in the Psalms that puts it like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the ways of the wicked, or stand in the shadows with sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight, his delight is in the word of God. And on his word, on God's word, he meditates day and night. And because of that, he's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which grows its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he succeeds at. You believe that? The key to creating sustainable change is to get rooted as deep as we can in our relationship with God through daily contact, through meditation and prayer. Don't let that word meditation scare you off. It's a good biblical word that's been used for a lot of different things, but at its root, it just means sitting still, clearing out, radio, TV, people having a moment where you're either praying or you're reading the Bible and you're just reflecting on your life. Because I'm telling you, half the time we're in the daily grind and we forget there's even a God. It's being still and knowing that there is a God who loves us beyond belief slowing down long enough to speak to God and allowing God to speak to you. Stopping whatever it is that you're doing and understanding what the will of God is in your life. It's reading the Bible and asking, what does this mean for me? What does this have to do with me? How is this relevant to what it is that I'm going through? And he says that when you do this, When you do these things, when you stay connected like this, when you remain in Him, 
You're like a tree planted by the river, and when the heat's on, you don't wither and die. And when the drought comes and there's no water, you don't dry up and blow away. In other words, you don't relapse back into all the bad habits because there is this power that sustains you. You've created new habits in your life to replace the old bad ones, and because of that, you have the power that you need to make it through the tough times. I have to tell you, there was a period in my life where I walked away from my relationship with God for several years. And I did a lot of things that I am not proud of. And when I finally came to my senses and I came back to God, it was like waking up from a bad dream. The only problem was it wasn't a dream. I had lived for so long without God, I was afraid to come back to God. I was ashamed of my past. And my past became a barrier to my future. I started going back to church. And I probably felt as out of place at church as any place in the world that I'd been. I felt uncomfortable praying. I couldn't take communion. I felt like people were judging me or that they were better than me. It was easier for me to hide in the shadows than it was to come face to face with God about my past. We all have baggage that we've accumulated throughout our lives. And the longer we've been doing this life thing, the more baggage we pick up. And it just gets so heavy, doesn't it? But when I came back to God, I understood for the first time the word grace. I understood for the first time what God did when he sent his son. That no matter how badly I've messed up in my life, that I was in the same bucket with everybody else. And no matter how people are able to fake it or make themselves look good on the outside or make themselves appear real, spiritual, I realized that in God's eyes I wasn't any better or any worse than anybody else. And I understood for the first time the good news of the gospel. I mean, if you were to just sum up this entire Bible, it's that while we were still a bunch of messed up sinners, Jesus died for me. And he accepts me as I am, messing off. Jesus broke the cycle of shame when he inserted grace into the world. So that when we walk through these steps, when we come to him and we ask for forgiveness, we have this promise that says that from as far as the east is from the west, he will remove our sin from us so that we are left sinless on the day we stand before God when we leave this earth. But not just then. So that we can walk through the rest of our journey head held high, without shame, knowing that what we did 
is not who we are. The Bible says, after our lives blow up and we've thoroughly destroyed it and the dust settles, that from the ashes of our life, of whatever it is that remains, from the pain of our past, he reaches down and creates in us something beautiful, something new. He uses our times of brokenness to chip away all of the junk, all of the veneer that we try, that we've done to create a barrier between us and God, and he removes it and begins to mold us to get down to the person that he knows he created us to be. It's in our times of brokenness and pain that we truly, finally understand that we're not as strong as we think we are and to say out loud, I need help. I can't do it on my own. And when we're lying there flat on our back, beaten and bloody, we look up and we say, I need God. And it's in that moment that our faith becomes strong enough to break the cycle of shame where we say no more. We realize that our past is part of this beautiful mess that I've become. And who I am, who I really am at my core, is who God created me to be.